We are on the, uh, the Christmas card passage today. This is like the one, uh, maybe there's been some obscure ones throughout the series. This is one you're maybe a little bit more familiar with. We are T-minus 12 days till Christmas, all right? So if you're like me, not only is your electric bill burning up, but so is your debit card, all right? And uh, you've got more to do than you have time to do it, amen? Uh, man, listen, uh, we are, man, we're just so excited about this season, and uh, this is the part in the season where you, uh, if, you're, if you're anything like me, have begun to uh, enter into this perpetual state of uh, anticipation, right? Uh, whether it's the, the longing to see the expression or the faces light up of the person you're going to give a gift, or uh, the, you know, you've, you've begun to kind of done the, you've, you've already begun to kind of imagine what's behind the paper of that one sitting under the tree. You've begun giving it a couple shakes, and uh, maybe you've peeled back the corners a little bit already. Uh, we're in this season of anticipation, you know, but I don't think it's something unique to me and you, really unique to, uh, to, to this, this Christmas, right? Um, man, anticipation is something we feel in many times throughout our life, especially the 12 days leading up to Christmas. But even uh, you're welcoming the, the birth of a newborn. If that's happened in your life, you know this feeling, right? This is why we get ultrasounds, right? Because we just can't wait to see, to meet, to know. There's something, I think, about the unknown that leads and builds this sense of anticipation. Uh, I think that's why, you know, many of you have already begun kind of doing your own investigation underneath the tree, right? You've already uh, got the forensic kit out and you are pulling back the tape without, you know, ripping the paper so mom doesn't know, you know, and uh, you've already begun this, right? There's something about the unknown and looking forward to this future moment uh, where uh, that unknown will be realized with what you're imagining will come to reality, where uh, just what, what, what's in your mind will come to sight right? There's something, I think, about looking forward that has always built anticipation. And it's not new to, the, to our season, right? Uh, I want you to see today that anticipation, this idea of looking forward, longing, this idea of awaiting a day uh, that will be realized is something packaged within the story, the greater story of Christmas itself. As we look at this passage that many of you are familiar with today, in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, we not only will see a people in the same posture as us looking forward, right, looking forward to uh, a future day, looking forward to a promise, looking forward to a prophecy, looking forward to a king, but as we look at this king today, here's what I want you to see. You don't have to look for something that's unknown. You can know that king today. Right? And if there's ever a day in our lives where we need to stop and pause and consider that king, it's today. Right? And, uh, and so I want you to look at me with me. Uh, don't look at me. Look with me to Isaiah chapter 9. All right? Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to pick up the very first uh, five verses. But before I do, I want to ask you to pray with me uh, and ask, ask the Lord to open our eyes to see Jesus today. Father, I love you. And Lord, I ask that in the uh, next few moments that we have in this room together, Lord, I pray that you would just use your word to our spirits today to open our eyes to see your son. Father, uh, this promise made is a promise that was kept. That's why we have Christmas. That's why we celebrate today. And God, I pray as we see a people looking forward to the unknown, looking forward to this promise, Father, we would reflect uh, on that anticipation, but let that anticipation turn towards adoration of this king. 
Father, would we see the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace, and allow him to rule as the king of kings in our lives. Father, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 through 5, it says this. It says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea. In the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling Tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, in the series, if you've been with us, you know we've kicked off a series called The Real King. as kind of our journey through the Christmas story this Advent season. We've seen, uh, really, we went all the way back, as far back as you could get. We didn't start at Bethlehem with the cry of a baby. We started in the garden uh, where sin entered the picture, where perfection was fractured and from that, uh, man had a great need. We saw a creator king uh, create his kingdom, and then that kingdom lost. We saw Israel cry out for counterfeits, right? And these failed kings pointing forward to this flawless king, this promised one who would come. Today, we, as, we, uh, as we look 700 years before that cry ever was heard that day in a manger, before that cry changed the world, we see a people in the same posture we mentioned earlier looking forward to this prophecy, looking forward to this king. And to give a little context on this passage, Israel continued the pattern we've seen throughout this series, right? Continued this pattern of rebellion, continued this pattern of uh, turning their backs on God the king and looking to the nations around them. They rebelled against God and they turned to idols. And as a result, what you see in this, the nation of Israel's story is God bringing judgment against them. These are not easy times to live in if you're an Israelite. In many ways, we find ourselves in, in somewhat similar of a condition today, right? Hard days we live in. In the time that this text uh, calls home, Israel is divided into two kingdoms. In the north, you had Israel. In the south, you had Judah, both of them led by counterfeit kings. And instead of trusting God and looking to him for their provision, their protection, instead of looking to him to be the one who directed their steps they turned instead to the might and military of these pagan nations around them. They looked to everywhere else but the place they should have looked. Instead of the real king, they looked to kingdoms. But there's a lesson to be learned in this. God does not share his allegiance. He will not share his allegiance. And so what he is about to do here in this passage is allow Assyria, this, uh, this invading, conquering, mighty pagan nation to sweep across both Israel and Judah and grinch their way of life as they knew it, right? I mean, things are about to get heavy. It's about to get hard. So this isn't a jolly and a bright backdrop to a Christmas text, is it? 
These days I'm talking about are really described well in chapter 8, verse 22, the immediate verses preceding the text that we just read. If you just let your eyes lift up just a little bit to that first verse there, it says right above nine, chapter 9, verse 1, if you go right up, it says in 8.22, it says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress in darkness, listen to, to these descriptors, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Dark and difficult days. And it is into these days, I want you to see this this morning, it's into these days that God reminds the people of his promise. Like, like we talked about before, it's in, in the the backdrop of darkness that Christmas lights shine brightest, right? Well, it's in the backdrop of the darkness of Israel's story that the hope, the light of the hope of the gospel is most beautiful. It's right here where God announces hope in the midst of disaster. He sends his prophet Isaiah to preach the hope of the gospel into the gloom of anguish, into the gloom of their situation. And listen to me, I believe he wants to do the same in our lives today. Today, uh, you know, it's no secret, I don't have to remind you that things have been tough, right? That this year is not like years past. This isn't, maybe you're, you go all the way back to Thanksgiving, and you, it was just different, right? Can we all just agree? It's just been a little different. It's been a little bit more uncertain. It's been a little bit dark. But listen, there's hope. If there's anything you need to hear this morning, it's this, that in the middle of whatever your gloom is, the gospel is brighter. And the gospel gives hope. The gospel is our joy. The prophet announces a day coming where this darkness that they are experiencing will be lifted. When gloom is going to give way to glory, when the joy of his people will be welled up. There, this, this, this prophetic language, when you read the prophets in the scripture, they prophesy and it's written in such a way that the, the events that they're prophesying have already come to pass. If you look at the text, he says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former days, he brought contempt. Right, so he's already prophesying as though these days have passed, yet they have not even come to pass. They haven't even stepped into them yet. Yet he's saying this has already happened. And the reason the prophets prophesied this way is he's saying this, as, as sure as you hear my voice, these things I'm telling you are going to come to pass. You can take it to the bank. He says, Israel, there's a day coming where the light will shine brighter than the darkness you're walking in. There's a day coming where the gloom that you find yourself in will give way to great glory. These people who are in exile, he says, who are conquered, who are in distress, will be liberated. Listen to what he says. He says they have seen a great light as if they've already seen it. That the rod of their oppressor whom they don't know yet will be broken as on the day of Midian. Can you imagine, you would talk about Christmas being hard to, to handle. Right? You want to talk about the 25 days of Christmas for many of us feeling like a prison sentence. Can you imagine that being preached to you? You're about to walk through the darkest days in Israel's history. And into those days, he gives this announcement of great hope. Talk about the weight of anticipation, the longing, the looking forward to this future day, this unknown day. But this promise still being present. But who will be the liberator? 
That's what you're probably asking. That's what they were probably asking. Who will liberate us? Who, will tor- who is the source from which this promised light will emanate? Who will usher in this glory and turn away gloom, increase their joy, increase the joy of their people, and replace their anguish? Who will do that for you today? You're walking in hard days. Who is it that will give you joy? Who offers you joy? Who is it that is the light that you can preach over your darkness? Listen to what he says in verse 6 and 7. One of the most familiar and hopeful texts around Christmas. It says this, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this day forth and forevermore. Listen, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, if you're in a captivity to a pagan invader, I want you to imagine this. Like you chained up, you're in exile. You got hauled out on like a rotisserie stick. You know what I mean? Like you are not in your homeland any longer. Days are dark. You've been thrust into utter darkness. You are probably a little confused at this moment. How does the promise of a kid liberate me from these kings? How does the promise of a child, this is like that, that moment on Christmas we've all probably had where, where a gift just under-delivered. You know what I'm talking about? Where you had like, you, you were sizing up this box. I mean, and you had all kinds of dreams of what could be inside. And the day came and you got a hold of it. And it was a little, maybe it was a little uh, lighter than you anticipated. So then you start like checking, you know, you start going down in the notches of what you think this thing could actually hold. You rip the paper open, you open it up, and it's a sweater. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, man, it's cute, but come on, man. You know what I mean? Like, come on. I mean, it's a nice sweater. But still a sweater. It just didn't deliver. It wasn't, what, it wasn't what you were expecting. And in many ways, I believe this announcement for Israel was probably the same. This announcement was not what Israel was looking for. They expected a conquering warrior to come in and to lift them out of their current problem. But God often operates outside of our expectations, doesn't he? His answer to the carnality of this world and this text is a child. It's a child. What's going on? You see, through the voice of Isaiah, what I believe God wants to show us, and he was showing them, is that the Lord had more in mind than simply relieving them from their current situation. You see, God was more concerned with their sin. And and this is a good reminder for us today. You see, God is infinitely more concerned about your soul than your safety, church. He's infinitely more concerned about what's going on in your soul than your safety. And in a day, listen, where safety is important, and we do need to worry about that. We do not need to worry about that at the expense of our soul. Right? You see, what Isaiah was telling the people was, listen, there's a greater liberation coming. There's a greater captive over your life right now. There is something that's got you ensnared right now that's bigger than Assyria. There's something that's going on inside of you that you need liberation from that is ultimately and infinitely more important than your safety and your freedom. 
It is your spiritual freedom. It is a great spiritual liberator. You see, the problem for God's people since the garden, if you've been tracking in this narrative, the problem for God's people since the garden has always been bigger than the pains and struggles they were feeling. Their problem and our problem, our greater problem, is sin. You see, sin is why we look to stuff at Christmas instead of the substance, instead of the Savior, who is the only one who can ultimately satisfy what we're looking for in those gifts, in those whatevers, in the wrapping paper. You see, sin is why many this Christmas will deal with broken homes and aborted babies and COVID-19 and racial tension. Sin is why uh, many families this Christmas will spend, uh, you know, a meal around a table with one less sitting there. See, the problem isn't the problem. Many of our problems that we walk in, you know, you've heard that said the problem's not the problem. There is a greater problem at work, and we got to open our eyes to this. This text, if anything, does that. The problem is sin, and the answer is the Savior, the real King. The real King Jesus is our hope, Isaiah says. He is our joy. He is our peace. When we can't find it in, its, in this season, it's probably because we've been looking and longing for it in places we will never find it. Where we weren't meant to find it, in wrong places. There is a greater captivity, the better king came to conquer. And so Isaiah preaches hope, and then he gives hope a face. Look what he says. He says, for to us a child is born. Whatever in your life right now is weighing on you, right? The, the, the situation you're walking in, the pain that you're struggling with. The answer to your pain, the answer to your struggle, the answer to the thing that keeps you up at night is this baby. The same answer Isaiah gave the people, he gives to you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And he's not just given a face, he's given an identity. And an identity in which I want to spend the remainder of this time together in this text, in this message looking at these four names so that we can know the king, the real king this morning. We don't have to look forward to this unknown, right? like a gift underneath a tree. We don't have to look forward to what's there. We can know with certainty what is there. And not only know it, but allow it to change us today, right? Four names. He says he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. That is our hope this Christmas. That is the source of our joy. That is from that place that light invades the darkness. It's from that place that your gloom can be turned to glory, that your anguish can be turned and give way to greater joy, that the increase for you of joy is found here in the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So let's look at this together. The first piece I want to look at is the wonderful counselor. Isaiah promised a child who would come and he would be a wonderful counselor. In the days like the ones we live, and we look for counsel in many different places, don't we? We, we look for direction, guidance, a word of hope. We look for, to it in news outlets and articles and opinions of our friends. We even look to those like Facebook keyboard warriors, you know what I'm talking about, who always have clarity and direction about the way forward in these days. Right? We, we look for counsel in a thousand different places But Isaiah reminds us this morning that the baby born is the plate, the place of infinite wisdom. He says he is the wonderful counselor. He's not just counsel to consider. 
right? But the king of kings whose very words are perfect. Church, the words of the real king are the source of perfect counsel for our present confusion today. And every unanswered question you have, right, and every uh, heartache you, you, you possess, and every concern, and every, uh, you know, just um, it, all the things that we, we don't know the way forward, or we don't know what's next, or we don't, we don't have to, because we can know the wonderful counselor today. You see, we don't have to know what's coming, but we can know the one who does. We can know the real king. He is a wonderful counselor. Who do you look to for counsel and direction in your life? Let's not make it so vague. Let me put it like this. Who are you looking to in these days for counsel and direction for your life? Isaiah wants you to know that you have a wonderful counselor. Do you know that king? Do you know him as a wonderful counselor in your life? He's not just that. He says he's a mighty God. Isaiah says the child is a wonderful counselor, this baby who was born to us. He's a wonderful counselor, but not just that. He's a mighty God. To a people in present darkness, this name is powerful. Right? Isaiah prophesies to Israel thrust into thick darkness. And this announcement of this child not just being a great counselor, but a mighty God carried with it amazing power for them. And it does for us today. A mighty God speaks to his omnipotence, his all-possessing power, meaning he holds all. We sing that song, he holds it all, right? You hold it all, Lord. We declare that. Do we declare that in these days? Do we actually believe that? Isaiah says he is a mighty God who holds all the power. Although he was just born a child, the reach of that baby's power was matchless. Isaiah says he shall be called a mighty God. I love what Paul acknowledges, this, how he acknowledges Christ by the same name as he writes this. In, he says in uh, Colossians, he says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, for the baby. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, meaning first. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Listen to me. The child is a mighty God. He was mighty for them and he is mighty for us today. You see, Christmas is not just something we look at, oh, that was cute, let's move past it. Hang an ornament on our tree and go to the next. No, no, Christmas is good for every day of your life. In the middle of a marital trial, He's a mighty God. In the middle of a child you just lost, he's a mighty God. In the middle of financial stress, he's a mighty God. In the middle of a pandemic, he's a mighty God. When you're at the end of yourself, do you believe he to be a mighty God? He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. But he's also an everlasting father. Isaiah says the one who brings light from darkness will be called everlasting father. The name Father in 
antiquity, in, in ancient days, was a name that was also given to kings. So your king, the one you looked to for provision and protection and direction, was very much for you a political and spiritual father, right? But they were imperfect. And like all fathers, they bite the dust eventually, right? Even the best of us fathers one day will go home to glory. Jesus is our everlasting king, everlasting father. Remember that text? He's before all things, and he will be after all things. Things. He is a king who has been and will always be. Presidents and political leaders, I need to remind you of this, will come and go. Right? Their cabinets will be overturned and their glory will fade, but not their real king. Not Jesus. He is an everlasting father. His rule is endless and final. And that is at the name of Jesus, the everlasting father, that every knee will bow. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, every knee will bow before him and will confess him to be exactly what Isaiah says he is. Right? He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father. Do you know that king today? Do you know him as that? Do you look to him as that? Finally, I want you to notice the last name given to this child who was promised. The text says he is the prince of peace. And listen, if there's a name that resonates with me today, it's this one. If there's a name I need to hear today, it's probably this one, right? That listen, when everything around me is chaotic, I mean, everything is spinning right now in our world and no one seems to agree. What I need in my life, if, if you're anything like me, maybe you will agree, is peace. I need peace. And, and, and the great news about this text is when I can't find it in this world, and, and the scripture promises us really we're, we're probably never going to find it, okay? Just a, like, spoiler alert, you're not going to find it here. It's because we have someone that we need to look to for it, right? We have the Prince of Peace. To a war-torn people, the announcement of a coming peace must have felt like the night before Christmas. Can you imagine? But the peace Isaiah has in mind is not a national temporal peace. I want to make sure you hear this. Remember, God's ultimate concern was not their safety and liberating them from the situation. He wanted to deal with their salvation. He wanted to deal with their sin. And so the peace he has in mind here, when he calls Jesus the Prince of Peace, he is the peace in the storm. You remember what Jesus said to the disciples? Peace be still, he said to the storm, and it was still. So Jesus is our current, present peace in the storm. I do believe in the middle of hardships in our lives, he's the one we can look to to get through. Right? He's the one we can look to for peace, for stability, for security, for things that are established and not moving and unshakable. He is that. But listen, I want to make sure you hear this. The greater peace that he offers to you is the peace for your soul. It's the peace for your soul. Isaiah is not talking about national temporal peace. If that was the case, this prophecy fell flat. Right? Because why? Well, do you see any peace today? All right, but that, that's not the case. Our world today is anything but peaceful. Political parties, personal preferences, and pandemics have us in a position where peace seems like a shot in the dark. But the peace Isaiah says is, is, is coming, that he says is coming, is not a peace treaty with opposing nations. Right? It's not a, I want to say it this way, it's not a horizontal zen among men. Right? It is a vertical, what the scripture calls shalom with God. 
right? It is a vertical peace with a holy God. You see, you have a problem. I have the same problem. We were born sinners separated from God. And so the scripture calls us not friends of God, right? I think it's uh, Romans 3 says that no one seeks God, no, not one. So we didn't come today, if you don't know Christ, you didn't come today looking for God. You may have come for a lot of other different reasons. Maybe your wife has you here, right? So she'll let you go fishing later, right? I don't know what the deal is, right? maybe, Maybe you're here today because your parents drug you here. I don't know why you're here, right? But if here's what we need to understand. We don't come into this world praising God and and looking forward to celebrating Christmas for the reason, for the season, right? We come into this world on our own thrones, loving our own kingdoms, without wanting the king removed from them. And because of that, Scripture says we are enemies of God. You know, I'm I'm not that bad, surely. Well, see... When we understand the holiness of God, he is perfect, spotless, matchless. When we understand who he is, even the smallest, the smallest sin, even even the smallest slip up of a tongue, even the smallest lie you've told, even the the greed that's been in your heart, the anger that's overcome you in a moment of weakness, that is enough to separate you from a holy God forever. So all of us come into this world with the same need. That's the beauty of the gospel, that no one can puff themselves up in the midst of it. Every one of us are leveled before a holy God. Every one of us in need of peace with this God. And the great news of the gospel is that why we couldn't do it ourselves. We can never live the life of perfection that would be required to be a just sacrifice, to usher us back into communion with God This announcement of hope says, Israel, there's one coming who can. He is perfection, this baby you're looking at. He will live a life of perfection you could never live, and he will lay down his life on a cross. And all who will look to him in faith will have peace. He's the prince of peace. Isaiah's prophecy answers that greatest need, and this is our need today. We need peace with the holy God. Do you have it? Do you know the king? Not just about the king, right? We, that, we make sure we hear that. Not just about, well, we know a lot about a lot, okay? We live in an in information overload society. I, I don't know what the statistics are, but uh, I think like knowledge doubles, like I can't remember how, how quickly it used to be. It took years, and now it's like probably by the end of this service, by the end of the sermon, right? The, the knowledge, the information in our world will, will just double. Like we can know a lot, but do you know the king? Do you know the king? Ephesians 2, 14 through 16 says, For he himself is our peace. This is vertical. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, this is God, in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He says, is this baby that you're looking at here in the manger is much more than a child, than an eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus? <laughs> he's, listen, he's the prince of peace. He is the one in which we turn our hearts to, not just in trial, but for security, for salvation, for hope that endures for joy that's unending, that won't fade past your gifts you're looking to. 
He is the prince of peace. Jesus, the real king, is our peace, the peace in the storm, the peace in the pandemic, and he is our peace before God. Isaiah prophesied this baby was coming. And in this season, we remember he came. I want to make sure we don't forget that. Christmas is, yes, we adore the child, but listen, the child came and he is our, he is our uh, wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, and our prince of peace. I don't need to remind you today, listen, that things are tough, that times are uncertain, that tensions exist and pain is near. But maybe this morning you need to be reminded that light has shone from darkness, that glory has come from gloom, and that we do indeed, listen to me, have a reason to be joyful today. You have a reason. And it is because joy, counsel, peace, an everlasting Father, a mighty God is available for you today. You can know the King. This child who was promised didn't come for 700 years since those words left the lips of Isaiah. 700 years. But he came. And he promised to come again. Jesus himself, before he left his disciples, told him he would, he would come again. He said he would come again. They stared as he left and was ascended to heaven, sit at the right hand of the Father. The disciples are in many of the posture that you and I find ourselves today, standing, looking, waiting, God, are you coming? <laughs> Please, now would be great, right? The disciples are in the midst of first century, uh, the first century of the church. It was not a pleasant time to be a believer. It was going to cost you something, right? And in the midst of, their fearless leader had just ascended and left them. They stood with their faces gazing towards heaven, and it says that angels appeared. You see the similarity between the birth announcement and his ascension. Angels appeared at the birth announcing his coming. The angels appeared announcing his return. They say he will return. And what I love about it is they said, why do you stay, stand gazing to heaven? That same Jesus who you saw ascended will come in the way that you saw him go. Church, listen, as we consider Christmas, it demands action from us today. Anticipation creates action in us. Right, you're anticipating Christmas. You're not sitting on your hands right now. Right, you are burning up the hallways of Target. You are you are online. Amazon's just lapping your house. You got a lot to do right now. Right, if you're anticipating the birth of a newborn, I don't know about you, but my wife was crazy those nine months. All right, like we had so we were painting stuff, ship lapping. We're putting in, uh, putting together all kinds of stuff. We've got these mama roos bouncing, all this stuff. We're getting ready for this baby. We're getting ready for this baby. We, we look back at Christmas on a baby who came, but listen, don't let the story of Christmas stop there. He's coming back. What does it demand from your life today? Do you believe it? If you know the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace, it demands activity and action from you today. So as we close and the band comes out, I want to talk about some activity for you today. Some things to put a grip on this message for you. What do I do with this, Matt? That sounds great. Yeah, I'm in the spirit, ready to sing some Christmas songs, but now what? Okay, let me, let me give you a couple things. The first thing is this. If you're in the room today and you say, listen, those, you just described Jesus as a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. That's awesome, but I don't believe I know him that way. I can't find peace. Joy's absent from my life. 
I'm looking for counsel everywhere and it's letting me down. Listen, I want you to know today doesn't have to be like other days in your life. You can come and we would love to have a conversation with you about knowing this king. He's not unknown. He's not untouchable. You can know him. You can know him. We want to help you do that. In this next moment as the band leads us, uh, I want to pray in a few moments. And you can come out those back doors. I'll be right out there at the next steps here. I'd love to talk with you about Jesus and how you can begin a relationship, step into a relationship with him. If you want to talk about Man, your next steps to following that king, to making yourself ready to see him, to meet him. Man, come back here and talk to us. But for all of us today, many of you say, I have a relationship with Jesus. I want to know him better. Not just know him for salvation, but I want to know him for intimate relationship with him. I want to I I grow in my relationship to adore that king. Let me help you with, one, with something that we've put together. Uh, you got one of these at the door, okay? This is a Bible reading plan that our church is going to be uh, participating in collectively across all of our local campuses. Even the new one coming in the Arrington area will be rolling this out and encouraging our church to jump in We're in wherever we land, uh, whenever we land. And, uh, and listen, the great news about this is that, um, listen, we've got it all right here, okay? My favorite thing about this reading plan is there's 25 days, not 30. Or 31, okay? So what that means is if you're like me and you'll get behind, you have five days to catch up, okay? So what this is is you'll, this card has perforations in it, three perforations. You can fold it, rip it off, and you will place it in four different places throughout your Bible. There will be four different passages that you'll read each day, okay? Make sense? So you'll read from, you'll read from Genesis and Psalms, Matthew and Acts. And so as we go together through this, what I hope you'll see is that this isn't just about checking the box. This is about knowing the king, right? This is about interacting and meeting with that wonderful counsel. Where are you looking for counsel right now? Instagram, you feel good about that, <laughs> right? Like, like TikTok and Snapchat or whatever. CNN, Fox, where, are you looking for counsel there? Are you looking to the king, the wonderful counselor? You want to meet with the mighty God, you're going to meet him here in his word. You want to know an everlasting father, one that will not let you down and will be there when this is over, right, who will hold your hand through it right here. Listen, maybe for you, your next steps in this next season is that you need to find a Bible. You're like, I don't have a Bible. I, I have a Bible, but it was grandmama's Bible, and I can't read it, okay? It, it, it's in some other language. It's like these and that or whatever. Like, we want to help you, okay? You can come out those back doors. You go to the Connect booth out there. It's the, it's the table in front of the TV. There'll be some... Great smiling people in front of that that want to help you. We'll give you a Bible. If you don't have one, we want to give one to you, okay? If we can't find one, we'll check the, uh, we'll check the lost and found, and if, you know, we'll give you one of theirs. Okay, you scratch the name out of it, they don't want it anyway, all right? Uh, that's a joke. That's a joke. But listen, man, we, we want you to know the king this Christmas, all right? Gonna be a, there's going to be a pull. There's going to be a tension in this season to look for him in other places, to look for joy, to look for hope, to look for peace, to look for all the things that your soul is aching for in this season. You're only going to find it in the king. Do you know him? Do you know him? I'm going to pray for you. Father, I love you. Lord, I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for Christmas, God. I'm thankful for this message. It's not just good for a season. It's good for every season. And God, in this, in this uh, message and in this text that we read today, Father, we meet the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, an everlasting Father, and a Prince of Peace. Father, I, I needed to hear that today. Even as I preached those words, I was preaching to my own soul today. God, I need 
that today. And God, I pray that there be someone in this room who was ministered to. God, there be someone who doesn't know you, whose eyes were open to the reality of the goodness and the glory of Jesus this Christmas, Father. What a gift it would be to see salvation come. Father, I, I ask that in this next season, you would grow our church's faith through this reading plan, through our Bible engagement, through quiet times developed, through uh, family worship happening in homes. God, would you have your way in this area, in this community, through our church family? Would you allow the reach and the mission of our church to extend to the ends of the earth because of our great love for you? Our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Prince of Peace. Amen.